So since October, we've been on this path of studying um, what does it mean to be a healthy church. And just in case you forget, on the back of the notes that you get inside your program is where we began, back in Romans 12. And I want to encourage you uh, to go back and keep reading Romans 12. Read it again and again and again. Understand what it means to be a healthy church. Because that's what God's called us to be. And this isn't just a fad or a trend. This isn't just a kick that the pastor's on and then next year I'm going to move on to something else. No. This is why we're here. This is who we're called to be. It's what I've been called to do with God's people is to help us become a healthy church, as healthy as possible, healthier and healthier. And, and what does that mean? Well, as we've been talking about, a healthy church is a, is a church that's a community of disciples. And what is discipleship? And discipleship, being a disciple is someone who's acquiring knowledge. We're acquiring knowledge in in such a way that that knowledge meets God's Spirit in our lives and we become more like Christ, not just individually, but we become more like Christ as a church. That's discipleship. It's not just knowledge. It's not just trying to live a Christian life. There's a lot of people that, that focus on just knowledge and that's, they just get more and more facts about God. And then there's other people who say, I don't need all that knowledge, I'm just... I got the general gist of it. I'm just going to try to be a good person and do what the good book says. No. It's not about just doing, and it's not just not about knowing. It's when knowing and God's Spirit comes together, and it doesn't just change our actions. It changes us. We become different people. That's what Christianity is. It's not just modifying my behavior. It's changing me. That's a healthy, a healthy church is a is a community of disciples that are that are on that path. And you know, I I you know, being inspired by the Sermon on the Mount, I'm also um, looking at you know trying to give you some practical things, practical things to uh, to go through as we as we sort out you know what does it mean to to, um, to do this? What does this look like? And, you know, we were just singing um, some songs, and, and the songs were all about grace. And I was thinking about this, and this may be terrible uh, because I haven't maybe thought it out as clearly as I should, but what would be a sign of a, of a healthy church? Well, one of the signs of a healthy church is a church that, that passionately, passionately praises God. Well, how do we do that? How do we get there, right? And by the way, passionately looks different in different cultures. Um, if you go to passionate, say, football fans on the mainland, certain places, they never sit down. They, they, the, the student body will stand through the whole game. People are loud and cheering, even when their team is losing. In Hawaii, passionate fans at Aloha Stadium, when an exciting touchdown is scored, looks about what you guys look like now. There may be a polite little clap. Oh, look, good play. In fact, if you stood at Aloha Stadium, you would be told, sit down, right? So passion does look differently. I can't judge it by how you look, 
but you can tell. And I, when I'm here, am I passionately praising God? Passionately praising God. And let me tell you, when we sing about grace, here's what I want you to, to think about. For singing about grace, I want you to think not whether I know this song or whether I like this song. I want you to think about grace. You know what grace says? Grace says, I will sing this song, a song that I don't know, because Cheryl chose this song. Cheryl prays. She bugs me relentlessly about choosing the songs for worship. She cares so much. You'll do it for that reason, out of grace. In fact, you'll do it for the other people who really love that song. Younger people who come in and they hear these hymns and they, they, they see people who've lived with these hymns, sing them passionately out of grace, out of grace. Sing those songs with passion. And some of us older, more seasoned people who don't necessarily get into all this new music, out of grace, sing passionately. If you don't know what this song is all about, ask. If you don't know why a song was chosen, ask. If you don't know the, the background, the scriptural text, ask somebody about it. And out of grace, we come together and we passionately praise God. Well, that's my advertising. Um, has really nothing to do with the sermon today. But I want us to be a healthy church, so in a way it does. It has a lot to do. And so we've had several sermons uh, along the way, and the Sermon on the Mount as we're focusing on what is a disciple and what does Jesus say about being a disciple. And, and so, you know, a few weeks ago we talked about how a disciple has God's law written in their hearts. That's another way of saying God's Spirit is, is, is helping us do what God's law would tell us to do. And we talked about anger and uh, sexual immorality, and the reason we talked about sex and we talked about anger is because Jesus did. That was up front, and it's because these are two really powerful, dangerous things in our world when, when not kept in the context of God's love. Well, today we're going to talk about sin in general, but before we get there, I wanted to show you this photograph. Um, got it? Oh, there's a photograph. This photograph was taken in 2012. My sister took this photograph, so giving her free advertising if you wish to uh, have her take photographs of you. You don't have to shave your heads, that's optional. Um, but this photograph was taken in 2012, and it was taken right after um, Cheryl began her uh, chemotherapy. And so I kind of didn't want her to shave her head, but not for the reasons you think. It's because she's Okinawan. And I wanted to see, could Okinawan hair defeat chemotherapy? Because it's pretty aggressive, and I thought, a good chance that she wouldn't lose her hair. But she decided, no, she was just gonna, she was just gonna shave her head. So she did. And um, so for a little while, I welcomed her into the bald brotherhood. And, uh, and uh, that was 2012, summer of 2012, and, and you know, she, the cancer diagnosis and all it was kind of a, kind of out of the blue, kind of a shock of the two of us. My wife was 
way, like eight healthier, you know, you know, I did, and you know, I was the red meat guy, and she never did that, and, and all. Let me show you another picture. Now, this is with her with some random date from uh, 1990, I'm not sure. No, that's actually me with hair, believe it or not. Um, yes, there was a time. And this is 1990, December of 1990. And um, we, weren't, we weren't married yet. We're going to get married in a few months. And it was, you know, a good, what, um, um, 20 years beforehand. According to what the doctor said about the growth rate of her tumor, she had cancer in this picture. She doesn't look like she has cancer. But she had cancer in this picture. It was already there. It was already growing. She didn't know it couldn't be detected, but it was there. And it was a problem. We didn't, we didn't know. We didn't think about it. She regularly went for all the testing you're supposed to go for. Didn't know. What's the point here? The point is that there's things in our world that are deadly. And it doesn't always happen right away. Sometimes it takes time. And it grows, and it grows, and it grows. And sometimes, sometimes we catch it early enough. Something can be done. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes it gets away from us. And progresses too much. Cancer doesn't kill right away. It's slow. I used to, I mean, I still say this. I say, like, if you smoked a cigarette and your head exploded, right when you smoked the cigarette, if everybody who smoked cigarettes, their head exploded, no one would smoke except middle school boys. They're the only ones who would smoke just so they could see each other's heads explode. But no one else would do it. No one in their right mind would do it. Because the consequence was immediate. But that's not how carcinogens work. It doesn't happen right away. And the point, I think, is pretty clear, I hope, that, that sin, sin is like cancer. It doesn't always kill right away. It's slow. But it creates another problem. The other problem is, if you always think you have cancer, then you're always going to be doing things. Every time you have a lump, you're going to go onto WebMD and you're going to go to the doctor and say, I got cancer, cut my arm off, please. Every time you feel like weak or whatever, you're going to think, like, I got cancer. I got to stop doing this cause a problem too. This, this slow, sometimes silent, even secret growing of a problem causes a, causes a problem when we become aware of it because then we become paranoid that everything that's like it must be the same thing. And we end up undoing things that are actually good. You see, because because if we know anything in this life, pain is a necessary part of growing. 
I, when I coach track and field and I'm out there before workouts, I tell them this hurts and it's supposed to hurt. You are not going to get better if you don't hurt. And that's kind of the story of life. Doing the right thing, growing, becoming healthier hurts. And it's supposed to hurt. So how do we know the difference? Well, part of it is being a disciple. We know the difference when we, when we are able to look at what the Bible already tells us are the seeds of sin in our lives and the cancer that's already there. It's already growing. And that's a problem in today's world. It's a problem in today's world because in today's world, we've not only outgrown God. We don't need God anymore. That's for those primitive, infantile people to believe, the ignorant, those who still need a superstition. But we've also outgrown sin. We don't think there's such a thing as sin. In fact, sin is just, they're just lists of, of outdated rules that somebody a long time ago thought were a good idea. And this makes this doubly dangerous. Because if sin is like cancer, but we've decided there is either no sin or sin doesn't really negatively affect us, now sin is more deadly. It's more dangerous. If I... I don't have one, but I wish I had one because it would be kind of fun. But if I had a, like a dummy hand grenade... It's not a real hand grenade, but it looked like a hand grenade, and you believed it was a hand grenade. We would treat it very carefully, right? But what if I made a mistake, and instead of the dummy hand grenade, I brought a real hand grenade that could go off, and I toss it out there, and everybody thinks, it's a dummy hand grenade. We all have fun, you know, take a picture, pull the pin, ah, right? what's happening in our world. We've decided there's, there's no sin, or sin is not dangerous. Sin is just rules that some arbitrary God made. It's our option to choose them or not. We need to understand this, that if God is indeed the God of love, he would never make a rule that isn't somehow an expression of his love. In other words, he's trying to help you, and he's trying to protect you. So, we continue in the Sermon on the Mount. We're looking at what Jesus is saying about how disciples live. And in Matthew 5, 29 through 30, Jesus says this, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Right eye, right hand. You know, Jesus is talking about what we see and what we think and also what we do. And he's already talked about that before. Adultery is not just what you do, it's also what you think. Murder is not just what you do, it's also what you think. So he's already um, made this point for us. 
But what he's trying to help us understand is he's trying to help us understand how serious a sin is, how dangerous sin is. I remember when, when uh, Cheryl came back and, uh, from the doctor and, and it was one of the appointments where they were going to schedule her surgery. And, and she's like, you know, the doctor says, you know, we can do it a couple months from now, we can do it now. My thing was, get it out. Cut it out. The sooner the better. Do it tonight, tomorrow, I don't care. If I knew how to do it, I can do it on our kitchen table, right? Get that out. Get that deadly thing out as soon as possible. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, why are you playing with something that's so dangerous? Thinking that it's not going to hurt you. Or maybe it's not really that, that bad. First thing we need to know is that sin is dangerously deadly. Two adverbs back to back. They don't teach you that at seminary. That's all me. Sin is dangerously deadly. Dangerously deadly. We need to understand that, that sin is not just the difference between right and wrong. When we think that sin is just kind of a moral question of right and wrong, we're one step away from just believing that it's arbitrary. That God just decided, I gotta have rules. What will the rules be? Ah, here's one. Here's a good one. Here's another good one. No. We need to understand that everything he tells us that we should do or not do is to, is to help us, is to save us, is to protect us. And when we don't do it, it is dangerous and it is deadly. It might not kill you today, but it will kill eventually. And I'm not just talking about, you know, some futuristic, um, um, you know, death. I'm talking about killing right now. It's not always the physical death. That's what a lot of people think about. They just think about just the physical death. Oh, so you're saying if I sin that God's going to make me sick or God's going to you know, make my business go under. That's what's going to happen. That's what you're talking about. Or that someday I'm going to die. No. What I'm saying is, is that if you are in sin, if sin is in your life, you are dying right now. And the most important part of you is dying. That part that claims to be like Christ. That part that says, I want to be one body in Christ with my brothers and sisters. It's the thing that prevents us from getting too close to one another. It's the thing that keeps our churches so weak because we don't want to be in each other's lives. There's a reason for that. There's a reason that, that we push away from intimacy with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we think it's weird and awkward and we don't want to be a part of it. There's a reason for it. And it's not cultural. It is sin. And it's sin that's grown. And it's killing our churches. Oh, our churches still will have meetings and there'll still be lots of people. 
But remember, a healthy church is not a building and it's not a place and it's not a group of people who gather in that building. A healthy church is a community of faith built on God's love, bound by His Spirit. That we are in love, not just with God. And it sounds weird to say it, but I'm going to say it anyways. We are in love with each other. Can we truly look around this room and say, I am deeply in love with everybody else in this room? That's what a church is. We've accepted something far less than what a church is. And it's because there's cancer in us. There's sin. And we just let it go because it doesn't kill us right away. You see, this, what sin does is it, regardless of what the sin is, is that it, it divides us. It means there's a part of my life I can't talk about with anybody else. And the more of my life I can't talk about with anybody else, the weaker my relationship is going to be with that person. If we have weak relationships, we can't have healthy churches. It breaks down community. We cannot have healthy churches when there is sin because all sin works against healthy communities. Just look at the, you know, the Ten Commandments. Just look at the second tablets of the, of the Ten Commandments. Every single one in the second tablet works against healthy communities. Do you think you can have healthy communities where uh, murder's cool? Ah, we're good. One of you comes in, somebody's sitting in your pew that you always sit in, you take them out. You know, we'll have processes to clean up the mess so we can continue on, but hey, it's cool. Is that going to make us a stronger community? Well, stronger in some ways, probably. But not really. What if you came to church services like this and, and like you came and, you know, you had to hold your purse like this or, you know, you, 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 know, you hold all your possessions because you're afraid that that person next to you is going to steal your stuff. What kind of conversations can you have with people if you know that after you talk to them, they're going to misrepresent what you say to somebody else? Do you even want to talk to these people? You're certainly not going to tell them anything important. And you cannot build healthy communities. I haven't even talked about adultery. I talked enough about that last week. Or coveting. If you're sitting around wishing you had what someone else had, whether it's their, their lives, their jobs, their whatever they're doing in the church, their recognition, their notoriety, their family, their spouse, you covet it. Is that going to build healthy communities? The answer is no. In fact, it works against it. It's one of the ways I actually define sin, that sin is anything even things that would otherwise be good, it is anything that works against healthy communities. If you want to tell me that I've had this great, you know, 
um, revelation from God and breakthrough. And so now I'm going to, to go up and, and live up on the mountain all by myself and be close to God and commune to God. I would tell you, you're not talking about the God in the Bible. Because the God in the Bible says, we get closer to Him. We fall more deeply in love with one another. We don't separate. We don't isolate. We don't go our own way. No, we draw together. Healthy communities. Healthy communities. They break down when sin is left. The second thing that Jesus is saying, the language that he's using is, you need to do this as soon as you know. Paul later on will talk about anger and says, don't let, sun go, don't let the sun go down your anger. Last week we talked about if you're coming to the altar to make a sacrifice and you realize your brother has an offense against you, leave your sacrifice and go right away. Take care of it immediately. The longer we let sin continue, the worse the consequences. I wish there were a test that when you saw that picture of the, of the young, cool-looking Matt and Cheryl, okay? Not the later, mature, very dignified Matt and Cheryl, but the cool-looking one. You guys remember, right? I had hair. I wish, good, thank you. I wish in that picture there was a way back in 90 that we could have known that Cheryl had a tumor growing and we could have taken care of it then. But we didn't know. There's no way to detect it. We didn't know. But there's a lot of times now we know there's something small that if we let it go, it's going to grow. It's going to keep growing. And it's going to hurt us in terms of being a healthy community. We're always looking. We're always trying to deal with things immediately. Time does not heal all wounds. That is a lie. I couldn't just say, if Cheryl had come home in 2012 and said, hey, you know, uh, doctor said I got cancer. Hey, let's just give it a few years. It'll go away. Because, you know, time heals all wounds. It'd be stupid. Man, two weeks in a row I used the bad word, stupid. But I guess it's when I talk about sin, I've got to say stupid a lot. Children, don't say that word. Um, time doesn't. And with things like sin, time just makes it worse. Just makes it worse. What if you believe, what if you believe that someone, someone took something of yours? But you know, you don't want to say anything, but you believe it. And you know, you don't say anything couple weeks pass, a couple months pass, and you're always thinking about it. And you're always, when you see that person, even though you're kind of nice, nice, kissy, kissy, inside you're still like, oh man, I can't believe they took that. And then you find out, they didn't take it. They didn't take it. Instead, you just misplaced it. And for two or three months, you've been upset at them for taking it. In fact, you might have said things to other people. Maybe not directly, but you've said some things. The longer it goes, even though it never happened, 
the effect is still there. And even when you find it, you feel kind of bad. But are you really going to go make everything right? Are you going to go back to every single person that you said something to about this other person? Even if you didn't say they took something from you, you just raised suspicions about their integrity. Are you going to go back and make it right? Are you going to fix it all? And what do you do with those feelings? You have all this really good anger that you've built up for two months, and then you find out it's not true. We can't let sin continue. We need to take care of it right away. You see, the sin that's the greatest threat to the, to the, to the church, a healthy community, is the sin of not reconciling differences. That's why the Bible talks about it so much. That's why the Bible says, take care of it. Don't let it go. Don't let it fester. Don't just say, ah, it's okay. If it's truly okay, then, then never bring it up again. Never even think about it again. If the person does the exact same thing again, and you really forgave them the first time, and you really said it was okay, and you've left it behind, and they do the exact same thing again, it's only strike one. It's not strike two. Can you really do that? Then maybe you don't have to deal with it. Otherwise, deal with it. Otherwise, go and talk to the person. I love when people start conversations with, this really doesn't bother me, but you know the, what they're saying bothers the heck out of them. They wouldn't be bringing it up otherwise. I'd rather them do that than not bring it up at all. The last point that we don't totally get out of this, this passage, but we get it from the, kind of the greater teaching of church, uh, of the Bible, I mean, and we certainly see it in Romans um, chapter 1, where sin is rooted in a personal rejection of God. You see, as long as you think sin is rules, and they're outdated rules, or if you just think they're rules and they're still in effect, but they're somewhat arbitrary, just God has these good ideas for us to follow, you don't understand sin. And you don't understand why sin is so dangerous, and you don't understand why God says, cut that hand off, pluck that eye out. And that is because sin is a personal rejection of God. Earlier I said, as, as disciples, we have we have the law of God written on our hearts. And I've made this point before, but let me make it again, that the reason God wants the law written on our hearts is because it's written on His heart. The law is an expression of God's love. It's an expression of who He is. And when you say it's outdated, you are saying, God, you are outdated. When you're saying... I will only selectively follow it. You are saying, God, I will only selectively follow you. And you're not rejecting his rules. You're rejecting who he is. We forget that. We, we think too much about this being his rules, and we have this picture of the, of the courtroom, and there's the courtroom where, where you know, God is the judge, and Jesus is our lawyer, and, and we're sitting there, and Jesus says, I'll take the penalty, and, and we're like so happy, and we think about his law, but that doesn't tell the whole story, because the problem wasn't an, an outside law. 
The problem was that we offended the holy God. We rejected him. We told him, God, you either don't love me or you don't know me or you're not powerful enough to do the things you say you're going to do. And we're going to go in a different way. You see, the whole story is this. Not only does our lawyer, Jesus, the mediator, take our penalty, and we don't have to pay the penalty of death, the judge then stands up and says, and now you, you're going to come live with me. You're coming to my house, and you're hanging out with all those other people that have been forgiven and received grace. It wasn't so you could have this penalty paid and then everything's cool between you and God. God says, no, we've restored the relationship. You rejected me personally. Now that's made new. Now you're part of my family. Now you're my adopted sons and daughters. Think about this question. What if heaven and hell were exactly the same? Exactly. Picture whatever you want to picture. Um, I will picture that, you know, in heaven and hell, you know, there's the football stadium is right next to the baseball stadium, and then there's the golf course, and then my house. And so it's exactly the same. Okay, exactly the same. No matter what you picture, it's exactly the same. The only difference is God is in one place and he's not in the other. Would that matter to you? Would you be like, I'm cool in either place because, hey, they got football. I can go play golf. I'm good. Eh, if God's there, that's, that's a nice bonus. If you are even remotely okay with that, you do not understand. You do not understand what God is doing. He's building a relationship. He's building a kingdom. You see, we've convinced ourselves that sin is not wrong or it's not that dangerous. And part of the reason we convince ourselves is because it's something we want to do and because we don't see the immediate consequences. But get this, get this. As Christians, as disciples, we don't follow the law because of the consequences. We follow the law because it is God's heart expressed to us. And when we have God's law in, in our hearts, we're there with him and he's with us. And that should make everything different and everything better. It's not the fear of the consequences, but it's the benefits of obedience. The verse that Jeremy read, Jesus Christ gives us victory over the control and consequence of sin. If someday they make some pill or drug or shot that says, take this and no cancer. No possibility of cancer. Ah, we're all going to take it. There's no side effects. We're all going to take it. 
if there's minor side effects, like maybe you lose all your hair, we still might all take it because not having hair is not a bad thing. But there's not. But when we talk about sin, when we talk about sin being cancer, there is something. It's not even a something, it's a someone. And it's not a pill you take. It is a savior you receive. Jesus Christ gives us victory, but we have to receive that victory. We have to receive that victory. And some people are like, no, 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 I'm good. Um, maybe you think you're a Christian, or maybe you're not sure if you're a Christian, or you know you're not a Christian, but you're like, I'm good. I'm good. Let me ask you this question. Think back however far you want to think back. Last week, last year, five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years ago. Are you a more bitter person or a less bitter person today? Are you a more hopeful person or a less hopeful person today? Are you a more giving and loving person today, a more forgiving person today, or less? Or maybe you're just the same. You see, that's what sin does, like cancer. It slowly builds up inside of us when we don't let take care of things and, and work towards forgiveness. It slowly builds up. And one day we realize, I'm a pretty bitter person. I really don't like people. I don't want to be around them. Just kind of want to be left alone. Now, I'm going to tell you, not all the time this is a spiritual battle. Sometimes this is, something's going on, psychologically, physiologically. Not talking about that. I'm talking about the times it is a spiritual battle, and you know. You know, holding on to things, being unforgiven, not being, extending grace to other people. You know what it's doing to you. Receive the victory. Receive the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Receive it fully. I try to end with a list. Practical things you can do step by step. So how do disciples deal with sin quickly? First of all, we admit to ourselves and we admit to God that we are sinning. That it's there. Even if we don't know. And even if the consequences aren't abundantly apparent at that moment. We admit it. We look for it. That's what David said. David didn't just look for it. He asked God to look for it. Second, we understand that the spiritual, we understand more the spiritual and other consequences of sin. What I talk about today is just a taste. We need to know more about how these things that God has told us to do, what happens if we don't do them and the consequences and how that affects us and breaks down our families and breaks down our churches and our communities. Third, we need to eliminate or flee from temptations. Eliminate them if at all possible. Run away from them. Fourth, 
We need to find others. This is where that community of faith is so important. We need to find others that we can trust to hold us accountable. And hold us accountable in a way that they're going to help us to grow. We need that. How many people in this church do you think you could tell them, look, I have a problem with this. I don't know, I kind of gossip. Or I don't, I'm not very forgiving. Or I've got an anger problem. I'm kind of jealous. That you could tell them, can you watch me? Can you help me? When you see me doing some of these things, can you give me a sign? And if I miss the sign, can you make a bigger sign? And if I miss the bigger sign, can you just shout it really loudly and tell me to stop? Do you have people in the church like that? That you trust? No, and it's okay if your spouse is one of those people, but it has to be more than your spouse. Find others you can trust that will hold you accountable. But of course, of course, if you want to trust them, you have to know them, which means we have to get back to the things I, I said a few weeks ago, which is we have to know each other's stories. We need to live life together. We need to understand what's going on and where we come from so that we can trust one another. We're not jumping to conclusions. We're not getting upset because someone does something and we, we think they did it for a certain reason, but we really don't understand. And finally, that we learn and experience the benefits of righteousness. That's a long time pursuit. But understand, there's great benefits to being right with God. We need to know them. Today we're going to have the Lord's Supper. We do this not as a ritual. We do this as a sign, as a symbol to God and to one another. It's a commitment we make to one another, a renewal of a vow. And the vow is that, that, that we remember what Christ did for us and we once again say, we receive that gift and we live this life together. Now, if you're not from this church, that's cool. You can do the same thing with your church you know, here. They don't see you. But you can do that here, where you're making this testimony that I am united with this community of faith, this body of believers. And we're united by the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we do. And as we do, I want us to reflect on this. I want us to think about a disciple's attitude towards sin. And that we would pray that if we know, even suspect, there's the trace thing that, like with Cheryl, that tumor was so tiny it couldn't be seen, but left unattended, it was going to grow into something deadly. Ask God to reveal to you those small things. It could be nothing. You could go and tell somebody something like, you know, I think there's something, and they're like, no, it's actually good. I actually didn't even know. But you know what? That's better than not saying. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's awkward. It just tells us we need to do it because we're not used to doing things that should be common in healthy relationships. Think about it as we pray. As the, as the deacons come forward and others who come forward to help us prepare, as the worship team comes forward, 
Think about this, pray on this, review God's word as we respond this morning to it. Let's pray.